Podcasting from Northwest Pennsylvania. You're listening to the Gen Extra Podcast, a show about Generation X, movies, technology, weird news, and anything else they feel like. Join them every Monday morning. Now, here's your hosts, Dave and Joe. All right, welcome back to episode 139. Joe, how's it going? Uh, it's going good. I'm getting a swing set put in the backyard, so I have that to look forward to. That sounds great. Um, yes. You're not putting it in yourself? No, no. You know me. You know me. Half the things I do, I ask you to do. That's true. <laughs> uh, well, Joe, before we get uh, off into a, uh, a tangent here, just talking about you know stuff, uh, yeah. let's not leave our guest hanging here. So today nope. we have a, a special guest, a native from Northwest Pennsylvania. He uh, set his sights for bigger dreams of stand-up comedy acting, producing, directing, which he has accomplished all of them. He moved to yeah. uh, Hollywood in 2005. Joining us from Las Vegas, Tim Chismar. What's up, Tim? Hey, everybody. Hello, yes. Gen Extra Podcast. Good times. Good yes, days. man. Welcome to the show, dude. I, lo I love how you're opening. Uh, it says, and now for your host, singularly, and then he lists two names, which yes. would be your hosts. <laughs> Plural. There should be an S, God Un dang it. Unbelievable. Oh, trust Unbelievable. me. I, I hate that part too. <laughs> I'm like, what can you Yeah, Dave and, and then, Joe. It's and one and word. Uh, it's just one word. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Like this is just like it's split personalities of one guy, you know? Yeah. Like when I introduce myself to people, I'm like, hi, I'm Dave and Joe. <laughs> <laughs> actually, and, here's and, the and wild then, part. Uh, yeah. That's actually it. There is only one of us. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised. That it's a total and split I, I personality. I love how you open up by talking about this swing set, and then, and then he asks, "Are you putting it in yourself?" <laughs> I knew Which the answer. It was rhetorical. Had all kinds of sexual connotations. Oh, <laughs> it in yourself. Oh boy. No, I, I, I have someone else doing it. Yeah, I hope so. That is a whole different kind of swinging. <laughs> oh man. All right. So uh, yeah, Tim, to get us started out here, so. I, I want to bring up that you you contacted us uh, through our Instagram page and were, I guess, uh, a fan of our show. How the hell did you find us? Yeah. So, yes, I had my people contact your people. Uh, <laughs> I had my agent reach out to your agent. Mm -hmm. uh, I believe they had lunch and then uh, got back to me that it was favorable with the deal. Uh, so, yes, I uh, I was you know, nostalgic, uh, as people get about their youth and their childhood. And I was looking up Connie at Lake park on iTunes, uh, since I subscribe to a ton of podcasts and I'm a fan of podcasts and yours are one of the first two that come up when you search Connie at Lake park. Oh, really? God, I did not know this. Okay. That's right. because we did that. We had the one section, we had the one section of the one show, what, about a year ago, maybe six months ago where we talked about Connie at Lake park. Yeah. Yeah. And so you have it in the heading. So it's like a Connie at Lake Park episode. And so I popped on it and I uh, plan to skim through and just listen to the Connie at Lake Park stuff. But you guys have a good uh, rapport and a good general vibe and kind of a, a casual, funny tone. And I ended up uh, being sucked into the show. And then I listened to a few more and then I reached out and just said, um, hey, you know, at the very least, I want to let you guys know I'm listening and I like what you do. And on the other end, I grew up in Northwestern PA and I love Cody yes. Lake Park. I have a million <laughs> so, Park things to say. So, so yeah. many intersections there. I love it. That is crazy. And you worked there too, right? You said you worked at the park? 
buddy, buddy, buddy. <laughs> I first of all, I, I grew up next to it as a child. So my earliest memories are of riding my Fisher big wheel around the parking lot after hours, or you know, seeing the lights of the rides. We literally, my my grandma and grandfather's home was across the road from Conneaut Lake Park, and so that was that was my youth, 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 youth. Like we're talking pre-kindergarten, yeah, right? Yeah, real young. Yeah, and then later, uh, later on, as I grew up and I was in that area, um, I became a ride operator. So I ran the rides there for three summers, and you know, so there's lots of stuff. I I could say about the employees and the rides and the all this kind of stuff but it was it was i i love kind of like park i love the lore i love the history i love the rides that changed over the years i, I love the wild animals that they had there that would get loose on the property um there was all kinds of crazy wild out, outrageous stuff that uh that i can get into so. i mean i don't remember the wild they had wild animals there yes yes Really? Lions, what? tigers. It was it was a part of a ride called the Jungle Cruise. And around the time I was growing up, they stopped doing the Jungle Cruise because it went into disrepair and it got gross and and a little too swampy. Oh. And, and uh, so they shut the ride down. But they had these these damn animals. And there are a couple of lore and um, legends around the park. Like uh, there were stories about this guy who buried money there, or you know, put his money in gold and hid the gold and then died. And so there's a lot of this stuff where you're like, ah, you know, I'm sure that's you know, conspiracy or whatever. And so there was this, did they, don't they, about what they did with the wild animals. And from time to time, people would say they saw, you know, a wild lion or they saw a tiger. And it was always kind of a question about, you know, is this true or not? Well, I can tell you when I ended up working at the park, I became friends with the ride operators who had been there for generations. Mm -hmm. And it's absolutely true. They had an owner who bought these wild animals, and then when the ride went to shit, they just kind of let the animals go. No way. What? They just let them out? What? <laughs> yes. Like, yes. Go, on, go on, go on now. Like, just get, get out of here. <laughs> yeah. Wow, they dude. Just, they kind of hung out behind in the uh, in the uh, roller coaster, Blue Streak slash Jungle Cruise area for a long time. Oh, is but there any they... missing persons reports? Like, like... Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, like, have people gone missing and they can't find them anymore? Because that would explain it if that was the case. It, it's it's pretty weird. It's pretty weird. And if you know, if this is something that you're interested in exploring, I can hook you up with, uh, you know, people who th this one chick that I that I know from the park. Her mom, it, it's wild. Her mom literally married a three men who worked at the park. One was a cop, and two were ride operators. So she would marry a, a county like, and she was in charge of all the rides. Uh, and so so she was like the person who organized who was going to be doing what. And then she married this guy, and she'd have a kid or two, and then. And they'd get divorced and she'd marry another one and then get divorced and then marry another one I, and she's married to another guy now it was just one of those things and so it was like they all worked together and they all took a hand at uh, marrying her so it's it's pretty wild but anyway the, the daughter of of that is, is the one who shared uh, all that stuff with me so yeah this is just the wildest deep dive to Connie at Lake I think it's uh, Dave even when we looked into it and we like tried to do like legitimate research for the show that day mm -hmm. Like we didn't get anything like this. No, I didn't know there was like, possible buried treasure, you know, gold and yes. stuff. That's <laughs> yes. crazy. Lions. That's, that's yeah, part the of lions. the rumor. That's part, yeah, yeah. It, it was it was pretty outrageous. Uh there's I mean, there's yeah, there was a lot of fun, wild, outrageous, crazy stuff between 
wrestling shows and, and rides that would come in and out. And there are even things that like I, I collect nostalgia from the park. So, you know, uh, remnants of Fairyland Forest, which was across the road that they eventually turned into Camperland. Some of the rides that uh, I remember briefly from from being. Do you guys remember the Hell Hole? I think oh, we yeah. talked about oh, the Hell Hole. We did I, talk about is, that. Yeah, we <laughs> did because it was one of like the weirdest most dangerous things I think I ever did as an eight-year-old. Yeah, it was like a giant washing machine on spin cycle. Yes, yeah. yes. Well, the, the the devil that was holding his nutsack, which what was up with that? They ended up moving him to a uh, like a, a metals park in um, in Texas now. So if you go there, he's still there holding his balls and uh, and, uh, and oh the, the devil's ear. Really? Yeah. That is great. That's great. I'm glad he's it's a, still there somewhere. Wait, so the whole yes. the whole ride is there, not just the sign? No, 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 the 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 devil that was out in front of it. Oh, yeah, there was oh, a, that's right. Okay, that's right. I forgot there was a big, you know, three D, you know, giant devil statue apparently holding his balls. I don't yes. remember that part. <laughs> oh, buddy, I could not. As a kid, I was like, what's going on? I go over and like look up. I'm like, what is what is this? But um, yeah, then there was the ultimate trip. There was the yo yo. There was crack the whip. There was uh, the wild mouse. There was all kinds of fun stuff. And then you know it changes when you actually work there like as an employee i had so many diverse summers where like there's all these little things like okay for example like when i would clock in um because you have to walk the midway so the midway on one side is games so there's all these people who have all these games and on the other side you've got the foods all these people who are selling pizza and funnel cake and all this so i would go up I would clock in to go run a ride, and then I'd have to walk by all these people. And I discovered very early on how sick of uh, um, small talk I am. So, like, I hate like, – I'd have to walk by these people, and, and every day they'd be like, hey, hi, good morning, hello, good to see you, oh, hi, geez. welcome, wonderful day. And I'd fucking fake it for, like, <laughs> you know, a while. I'm like, hello, hi, good to see you, good to see you again, hello. And then after, you know, after a, a few days or a week of that, I would just walk by them like, fuck, I've, I've greeted you every day for yeah. a week. Can yeah. I just – can I just have some interest? You know, like haven't I built up enough rapport? But then people are like, what's with Tim? Oh, he seems grumpy today. I'm not grumpy. I just greeted you for seven days in a row. Can I go one day without fucking saying hi? Jesus. So, well, that, that is the problem you know, with society um, is if you don't, yeah, if you don't engage in that small talk, yeah, you're like, uh, yeah, this, oh, this guy's in a bad mood. <laughs> yeah, bad mood today. You know, you're just trying to get to your, you're just trying to get to your ride. It gets your day started. Yes. And so the, the, the best the best was when I was running the Blue Streak. When I was one of the guys who was ah, running the, the Blue, Blue Streak, Street, which, yes. by the way, I got, I got a couple of Blue Streak stories for it. So I'm running the Blue Streak, and uh, the guy I'm running it with likes to smoke pot. And I was I was young. This was like early college. Uh, mm. I, actually, the first the first time I ran rides was like around 2000. And uh, yeah, I think it was 2000 because I just graduated from high school. And I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. And one of the guys I met at the park ended up working at an amusement. Um, I'm sorry, going to Edinburgh University. And that's where he encouraged me to, to submit and to say I wanted to go uh, apply, apply to go there. And, I, dude, I was poor as shit. My mother and my father were both convicted felons. My mother dropped out of school in the 10th grade and got on welfare. And, like, you know, so I came from white trash. I didn't know anything about college or how to go there. And I was like, certainly I can't go there. But um, he encouraged me to apply, and I got in. 
and I ended up uh, graduating from Edinburgh. But the point is, I um, so I was going to, I was going, to, so I was running the Blue Street, and we were smoking pot, and uh, and somebody, the one of the security came up, and they they were like, oh man, somebody just complained that they smell pot, <laughs> and we looked at, it, we were like, oh no, and he goes. So cut it out for a few minutes. All right? <laughs> We're like, yeah. So just, you know, that was that was the other thing. When I was a child and I went to the park, it was magical. I thought Conneaut Lake Park was full of wonder. It was my Disneyland. It was full yeah. of wonder and magic. And you know, who are these people who are in control of such you know joy? And then when I worked there, it was like, oh, toothless fucking. High school dropouts. Great. Yeah. You know, it kind of took away the. Uh, it's amazing the how your perspective changes as you get older. Yeah, it's not necessarily a, a sought after career path, you know. So, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a, a summer gig for people looking for an extra, a little bit extra scratch, you know. So, I get it. But, yeah, yeah it's, it, it's tough. Something easy I, I, for them. Well, go, well, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I, I was going to ask you a story. real quick question. What is it? Yeah. What is it like running a roller coaster, though? Like, was it, is it so brainless that it's just like on, off, on, off, or, you know, I, no. I know there's a little, probably a little bit more to pay attention to, right? Yeah. 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 There's some finesse to it. So for example, on the blue streak, when you, uh, when you check all the bars and then you send it out, um, you have three minutes. Like there's a light that tells you where it is on the track. Every time it tricks okay. another thing, you're like, oh, it's there, it's there. It's there. So you know how long you have before it comes back into the station. But when it comes back into the station, we are running breaks to stop it. And if you don't okay. do it right, if you break too hard, then it'll stop before it gets into the actual area to put the new people in. So sometimes, you know, when you're learning how to run the ride, you break it too fast and now they're stuck way out there. And you have to go out and like push the cars in. Oh, man. Um, but then if you don't break it hard enough, there's, and it's actually kind of fun sometimes just for the shit of it, like amongst friends, we would, we would run it three times in a row where you send it out. And then when it comes back into the station, all you have to do is, um, is hit these bars that make the, um, the thing lock, but you can just have it go screaming right through. If you don't hit the brakes, it'll keep going forever. Oh, really? Just, just yeah, keeps on going. <laughs> It's centrical, centrifugal force. It's not like you put gasoline into it. it. It's all that first hill. Once it goes down, that has the power to keep it screaming right through. Well, it'll hit all the loop, all the hoops, and then it'll come through. And if you just turn the brakes straight off and, and hit their bars, it goes screaming right back up and it'll just keep going. Well, there you go. And that ever, did that ever happen? Yeah, we purposely, like I said, for fun. Oh. So if some guys who work at the park come in uh, and they're and we're just fucking around, we're like, yeah, yeah, you want to do it? You want to keep doing it? Yeah. And then, you know, you just, you know, yeah, keep it going. And then sometimes it would piss off other people in line where they're like, what the hell? Like, we're waiting to ride this and we just keep those other people going for a while. So, uh, but, you know, I, I, went, I went to tell you this. So I worked there three summers. Uh, the first summer or the second, I think. It was a, so the first summer, like I was getting all connected with it, and I I had a lot of um, uh, time spent at the Ferris wheel because I was less argumentative than other people because I actually really cared about working there. It meant a lot to me. So um, the the Ferris wheel was the ride that nobody wanted to do because it was lonely and it was tiresome, and you had to balance it out with the people in the ride, and then you can't just let everybody off at the same time. You're part of it is like people are getting in. Okay, you're here. 
And then so at the end, you have to do the same damn thing in reverse to let everybody off. So it, it's just it's real tedious. It's bleh. but um, but I did it a lot my first my first summer there. Well, the second summer, I uh, I ended up meeting the girl that I ended up losing my virginity to. And Uh-oh. she was a riot right. operator. And that was fun. And then there's this uh, this bully dude who, who liked getting in fights and headbutting people and all this kind of craziness. Headbutting he, people. Yeah, that was his that was his thing. That he sounds was, like a, like uh, a 90s like action movie kind of thing. <laughs> I remember he would wear Fogleys, uh, fake Oakleys. He okay. would wear these uh, glasses at the time. And but uh, but what I wanted to say was uh, he got me fired. My uh, my second summer there, I ended up getting fired. And and here's how we were running the blue streak, and this um, this this older group of uh, elderly folks came up to ride the roller coaster, mm-hmm. and uh, they gave us their camera, and they asked us to get a picture of them coming back in and we're like oh yeah for sure and so we sent the the car out and as soon as we sent it out my bully idiot friend said that uh why don't we go get a picture of you with your pants down like why don't you moon the camera oh no and uh, and i said oh that just sounds awful i would never okay let's go do it so we went in the back and i uh, and i dropped my pants and uh it went bare ass and uh, stuck my head between my legs and he took a picture of my asshole and uh, and then we came back out and we took a picture of them coming into the station. We gave the uh, old people the camera and wished them a wonderful day. And we thought, you know, teehee, that was going to be it. Well, it turns out these old people belong to the roller coaster enthusiasts of Pennsylvania. Oh, no. <laughs> God, what are the odds? <laughs> They sent the pictures and a big letter to the park, and uh, I ended up getting fired. Now everybody had a big laugh about it, and they they you know loved it, and they called me Butt Boy. <laughs> and uh, I still did a bunch of promotional shit. We did a pro wrestling show at the park and stuff. And then the next year, I came back and I was running rides again. I was actually in a higher position where I was the break guy for anybody that needed to go on a break. So I'd be giving them their fifteen, their half hour, and their fifteen and shit. But it was it was pretty ridiculous. Like in in hindsight, I. Uh, probably shouldn't have done it or i should have hid my face or something fucking everybody knew it was me i never even got to see the picture by the way it was like the inside gag amongst other people they'd come up like oh, i saw your ass i'm like, like oh. what but you were asking about uh what it's like to run a uh the blue streak and then how it applies like in general i do want to tell you this you have to be on the ball because of those breaks and when the buzzer goes off eh, it's like oh it's coming into the station so you got to be at your positions I, I remember sometimes at night I would be sleeping and I would think that, oh, God, the, the train's coming into the station. So I remember being like, like, oh, oh you know, like there was always that that fear because you didn't want to miss it. Right. <laughs> you know, so I will that- say one, one thing to uh, about roller coasters is like I'm, I'm a bigger dude. I'm like six two, built like a football player. And yeah. I uh, we I don't remember where we were, maybe somewhere, maybe in Disney. I don't know. But they had a. Uh, they had like a test chair out front of the roller coaster that you could go like sit in and see if you could like fit in it comfortably before you got on. Yeah. So you didn't have to make that walk of shame, uh, you know, where you're like, because I've seen that happen to people before where they go up and then they come back down. They're all like sulking a little bit like I didn't fit. <laughs> I wish they would do that on every coaster. That would be amazing. You are giving me flashbacks. I was in Branson, Missouri. There's a amusement park called, called Silver Dollar. And I was in line for whatever, like 40 minutes. I get up there and I'm too fat for their stupid ride. Oh, no. Yeah. That's... <laughs> well, you know, it's, and the Go thing ahead, is, with a lot of these rides, like if you you get in there, and of course, now I am not built like uh, Dave. I am the complete opposite. But I can, but even when I sit in some of those chairs, the first thing that hits my mind is like, 
How does somebody wider than me even fit in this thing? They do. They model them after, like, well, after you, Joe. Like, after yeah, yeah. a little slender little fella, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm like, yeah. I'm like, dude, they should really build these for, for Americans, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, gee. Absolutely. There's uh, so, so much joy in that, in that part of the world. We were talking about, um, you know, the, the bugs, the lightning bugs, and the toads, and the grass the streams and the forests and the, I, uh, I, I grew up in, I was born in Erie. I grew up in, in Crawford County. So Connie Lake Park and Linesville and Edinburgh and, you know, uh, Waldemere Park. And just, that was, you know, uh, I, I remember the stories about the age of consent for drinking was 18 in Ohio. So all the people would yeah. talk about crossing the border to Andover to drink and then coming back. Now, by the time I was growing up, that wasn't the case. But my earliest strip clubs and driving around uh, the Diamond, cruising the Diamond in Meadville, Pennsylvania, yep. just all just <laughs> man, that was my that was my youth, that was my my childhood. You know, I we were talking a little bit about Oil City and Titusville, and when I ran pro wrestling shows, they started in Titusville. My uh, my business partner was um, this guy. He's a state trooper now, which isn't it funny that people who end up being state troopers are the ones who are getting arrested. Like he was spray painting places and now he's a cop, you know? Yeah, we know but, a couple, uh, we know a couple of people like that. Yep. It's experience. <laughs> yeah, it's it experience. Right, yeah. right. So like he wanted to be a pro wrestler. And so we got into running wrestling shows and it started in Titusville. Went to the Crawford County. We would do shows at the Crawford County Fair every year. I think he still does it there. So but uh, man, I, this is my this is my youth. I loved I loved all this stuff. Um, walking the the boardwalk at night, and you know, seeing the lake, and and seeing events that were going on at the hotel, and they they um set it up for like a haunted hotel around Halloween. And, oh yeah, you know, yeah. I, I, had, I think I had my <clears throat> my prom there, and it's just so so many layers on layers of stuff, and then even things that had been knocked down and, and adjusted and changed. Like there were these colored buildings. I don't know if you remember where it was on the left as you walked down towards the boardwalk. Um, I used to get garbage pail kid cards and uh, and and Plastic. fucking mad yes. balls in the in the gift shop, and the gift shop smelled like um, cedar wood. And uh, it was just you know they had French fries. My grandmother would pour um, vinegar on them, and oh, just, yeah. so it was like an arcade where you went in. There was all these games going on. It was just so much life and fun and joy and just. Man, it was so it was so good. And I, I even I love the park so I almost bought the park. I think I said oh, really? that in a message. But I, I can get into like some of that stuff. But they, they were trying to figure out what the hell to do because they were some people wanted to somewhat save the park. But the truth is, after looking at the financials and everything, there's such a small percentage of opportunity to make money off of that park. And so like all of my my team around me looked over all the stuff, and there's just there was a there was a time where people you would work at like a factory or tool and die yeah, yeah, or like industry jobs and then they were like the industry would go there for like picnics and riding right, rides yeah. and that doesn't exist that industry doesn't exist anymore and uh, and and so there's so much there's there's all these little things that have chipped away at it. And so now the percent to make a profit off of a park is so small that you have to go into it almost expecting to make no money for a few years of trying to get it back up to being interesting enough. And it just, I, we couldn't, we couldn't do it. So the guy that bought it, I don't know if you've given an update, but his name's Todd and uh, he's a, 
I don't know. He's a bit of a douchebag. And like he um, he ended up buying it. And his whole plan was to demolish the park. Yeah, we talked and a little bit about lied. that, I thought. Yeah, well, yeah it was lied. up in the air, I think. Well, but that's, he, it wasn't up in the air if you knew what was really going on. No, he, no. He, he was a politician about it. He didn't want to be upfront about what his plans were. So when he bought the park, he knew there was too many people who nostalgically loved it. So he pretended. Yes. He would say things yeah. that wasn't backed up by fact. Like the people who actually worked, he would say things like, I love the tumble bug. It's just a shame you can't get parts for these old rides anymore. Bullshit. I know the family who can get the parts. So he would he would say things like that. So well, it's a yeah. shame we have to take it home. It's just we can't fix it. Well, and then whoops, I don't know if there it goes. Yeah, yeah, the controlled burn on the yep. actual the blue streak because yeah. it was supposedly oh we yeah, did it yes. So it was supposedly protected by the historical society. Yeah, but they're not around. So when they were doing their clearing of you know brush and then right, oh, it, it accidentally no, caught fire. It accidentally yep, caught fire. Oh, how completely not something we planned for the last six months. Yeah. You know, remember when we talked about that? It was even when you and I talked about that aspect that the blue streak had burned down at some point, it was like it was such it was so weird to us, too. It was like, wait a minute, what's this article say? It says it burned down from a controlled burn that was and you and I were like, was it around it? Was it next to it? Yeah, they, they had a Why control were, burn right under it. <laughs> yeah, like like who does that, right? Yeah. That seems so I, I, again, I don't know that the truth of the matter apparently is is more related to what Tim is talking about, but like it still seemed weird at the time that we were talking about it. Yeah, it was definitely weird. Well, he I think, off, he, he uh, sold off yeah, anything right. that could possibly he, he sold off anything that could possibly, you know, be worth any money. And then you knew people were, were leaving because he wasn't respecting like the guy. There was a guy who dedicated his life to upkeeping the devil's den. And so he was the one I interviewed in that little video clip on YouTube. I think I sent you the link for. Yeah. And uh, so him and his wife like repainted things and, you know, uh, oiled things and like really kept it up. And then Todd comes in. He's like, yeah, get the hell out of here. It's, you know, mm -hmm. so he just he, he had no interest in, in maintaining anything. Was this the same guy so, that went to jail for something, too? I th like I thought I remember seeing something about him. Some, somebody well, who owned it, I think, had had gone to jail at some point. Maybe I don't know if that's the new owner. Well, there, there's a lot of that kind of stuff for sure. Uh, I can tell you in the time I worked at the at the park for those three summers, every so often they just up and wouldn't pay us. Oh, really? There were two paychecks that I never got. So imagine you're working there and you're supposed to get paid every two weeks. Well, there oh, was a, a week that where we went in to get our paychecks and they just – and I, I, to this day I'm amazed that this happened in the real world. They just said, no, we're not going to pay you. And if you want to stick around, you can possibly get paid in the next two weeks. And so a bunch of us were like, what the hell? You can't do this. But nobody had a lawyer and nobody was going to do anything. And so we stuck around. Right. I, I didn't get paid for one set of two weeks. And then another summer, I didn't get a paycheck. And the very first summer I worked there, they promised me a bonus at the end of the summer. It was supposed to be 25 cents. For every hour you worked, if you never took off a day. And so me and three other people worked every hour, every day, and we never got a bonus. Of course not. That bonus was um, a handshake. Thanks for coming. Yeah, we appreciate yeah, it. The, the bonus was, here's a net. Go try to catch the tiger. Yeah. yeah good luck. <clears throat> well, it probably has something to do with like what you were talking about, like the the, the profits that that didn't exist on, the, on this park. Like They probably just couldn't, literally couldn't pay you. Like They just didn't make enough money, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or they were just greedy and just didn't want to do it. I mean, the literal business of this park has, I mean, it's no it's no secret 
that in the United States, the business of running a small theme park, entertainment park, or whatever, is never, it's never like we're just we're just rolling in it. Let me look what happened to Geauga Lake. Remember we talked about Geauga Lake? Yep. They were massive. They were way bigger. And even even Cedar Fair couldn't make it work. Yep. These things are difficult to run, but they they need to be paying their people regardless. They do. Yeah, I, I looked at all the angles because part of owning the park was I got the water tower. So I would get uh, the water for Connie Lake Park. So I looked at all these different avenues to try to make it work. Um, but it's 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 just weird because so many people had, had split it up different ways to like, for example, yeah. the hotel Conneaut was separate from what I was buying. So then I'd have to deal with those guys as well. And it was just um, yeah, it was it was uh, it was a shame. So now this guy's going to. And then if you look at the history over the years, there have been people who bought the park who put up those big gates around it, remember? And then some yeah. people would let you just walk into the park, and then some other person was like, no, no, we have to charge for everything. We have to no, charge yeah, you know, to live there. So yeah. Yeah. There, were, there were times when there were these, these concerts. and um, But it, anyway, I it always hold a very special part in, in my heart, man, you know? So I, well, that was that was I guess I say that was super interesting, and I really appreciate the actual ground level details of actually working oh, yeah. and and being involved with the park. Because when we talked about it, it, was very like surface level. It's very like this is what happened. This is where there. This is who you know. It was very much more like the way we remember it, which was I would go there like once a year. You know, yeah, that's couple, the way I remember. A couple it. random memories from we were kids. Yeah. Do, do you guys are you guys aware of the movie Scream Park? Scream Park, no. It is a horror movie shot at Conneaut Lake Park. Oh, really? Ooh. Really? And All right. You, well, if you can find it, it's out there. It's called Scream Park. I'm not saying it's good, but, uh, <laughs> but you see that it's shot at the park, and it has a cameo from uh, the guy who played Pinhead from the Hellraiser movies. Oh, ooh. Oh, All right. I'm, okay. writing, I'm writing this down right now because I, I love these kind of movies that are just like, you know, somewhat poorly shot. Uh, yeah, terrible, you know, practical effects. So, yeah, I'm in. I'm going to watch it. Good, 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 good. Yeah, man. Um, so that's, you know, and then I mean, I can I can splice it up a million different ways. We can talk about all kinds of stuff there. But, you know, um, like uh, as far as wrestling, I, I don't know if you're familiar. There's uh, in, in pro wrestling, there's a character by the name of Vader. Uh, it, he was played by Leon White. Uh, he was Big Von Vader. He was in WCW. He was in WWE uh, back in the Stone Cold uh, early years of The Rock. Anyway, there was an imitation Vader who did a show at Conneaut Lake Park, and he called himself Big Slam Vader. And he wore a similar <laughs> mask, and he would lie to people and say that's who he was. It would be like somebody being like, I'm uh, I'm Benjamin Hogan. You know, I'm yeah. the same Hogan that's on TV. And, and so me and my friends would be like, hey, man, just, just fucking be honest with us. We know you're not Leon White. And he'd be like, I don't know what you're talking about. Here, you want an autograph? And uh, – <laughs> so that was like the starting when we bought a wrestling ring from the uh, NWA out in Tri-State. They were West Virginia, Kentucky, Ohio. And in order to do wrestling shows in Pennsylvania, you have to have um, – because wrestling is treated differently in different states. Some states treat it like it's theater, and then they're just like, yeah, do whatever the hell you want. And in Pennsylvania, they still they, – it was still monitored by the State Athletic Commission. So you had to have an insurance – permit all this so we jumped through these hoops to get it and we ended up providing a ring for a lot of shows at connie lake park where they would bring in just like like shady promoters they would advertise things that they weren't actually gonna <laughs> actually have like they would advertise the legion of doom animal and hawk and then the day of they would have like greg the hammer valentine which people were like what you know <laughs> Anyway, so but but you know that was some of our early uh, shows doing when, the wrestling when stuff. Did, and then later, when did you do but, this? 
was this when you were was this when you were younger like like your yes. teens or twenties or whatever yes Yes, yes, oh, yes. Wow. When I was when I was in when I was in the high school, I went to my first live pro wrestling match, and it was uh, in Ohio at a school. And I met Al Snow. I don't know how much you know about wrestling, but like I met Al Snow's family. He's like a WWE guy, and okay. uh, all these other King Kong Bundy was on the show, and this guy Awesome Arpin, who ended up going to jail for selling oxycodone because. Oh that's how it works in the wrestling business. But I, I remember I went to the show and even as a high schooler, I looked around, I was, I was doing the math. I'm like, okay, so to do a wrestling show, what do you need? All right. You need merchandise. You need food. You need a ring. You need music. You need some wrestlers, some, some seats. Like I can do this. And, uh, and so I took that approach to it and we started, uh, I, I was, I was writing for the Meadville Tribune. So um, a lot of high school kids who are nerds like like me who are interested in writing and, and whatever we could write for what was called our generation. So it was like the, the kids section of the, the paper. And a lot of a lot of teens wanted to use that as an excuse to get backstage passes to interview their favorite bands. So that's uh, okay. who they wanted to see. And I was the guy who was like, fuck that. I want to go to wrestling shows. So I used it to get into WCW Thunder Tapings in Erie or ECW or WWE. And so like I was I was the guy who was hanging out with wrestlers and uh and, and getting all these connections to then use for the little indie shows. So we had people go through the the shows I told you about in Titusville and Erie and Meadville. We had people like Beth Phoenix, who's in the WWE Hall of Fame now. She used to wrestle for us as Firebird Phoenix and huh. you know, all these other no older kidding. time guys. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hoovertune wow. era and Horace Hogan and all this stuff. Yeah, but uh, but it was it was a it was a blast. It was um it was a hoot, man. I, I just love the way of thinking there, though. Like I'm gonna write for this, but also at the same time. I'm going to use this to go to the shows and then bring all that back to the the local shows that we set up. Like, was that part of, was that part of your intention there? Like the entire time, or is that just more of something that like that came out of it? You're like, no, I'm going to get this and I'm going to set this all up, you know, via the process. Well, I was still learning because um, like, for example, I told you I didn't come from any money. Well, in covering those shows, I met a bodybuilder who wanted to get into wrestling. Well, I'm a guy who knows wrestling. He's a guy who came from money. And so we started going to indie shows together and he put up the money to buy a wrestling ring. Wow. And then we uh, put together shows where he would put up the, the money to rent an arena. And then I, as a sales go-getter, would run around yeah. local businesses and sell ads and programs and names on t-shirts and radio advertising and all this kind of stuff to make sure that I had his money covered and then some before we sold tickets. And so I, I just, th this stuff come came as second nature to me. So when people would ask about advertising, like I heard your ad on the radio, how much did you guys have to pay for that? No, 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 no. It was how much we made off of that. Right. Because whatever it costs to have a live remote the day of the show and then, you know, to run the ads leading up to it and then an appearance on their morning show, whatever that total was, um, I would sell ads on the radio so that it would say, you know, uh, total carnage, steel cage match this Saturday brought to you by Jim's <laughs> Hot Dogs, Sally's Shoe <laughs> Repair, Don's Sports <laughs> Farm. And every one of those people would give me money on top of the packages in the program and stuff. So I'm making a profit for advertising, which, again, just bleeds into people coming to the show. And this is all when I'm like 18, 19, 20. These, this was my version of cutting the neighbor's lawn. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. This, was, this was me learning how the world worked. And that's, that's why when I got into college, 
for me personally, it was all about radio, TV, writing for the paper, and uh, you know, just being a bit of a mogul. And that's that's what I've adapted into, you know, my career. And uh, so this is I, I just I, I enjoy chasing after these things, and that's where I learned it. I learned it back then in in Pennsylvania. So when when did you do your first stint stand up? Because like that was part of your like that was something early on in your career as well, right? Yeah, well, when I, I graduated from Edinburgh University in 2005, I moved to California, and uh, I immediately got involved in um, well stand-up comedy. But the but the first thing was uh, I did a screenplay. So I um, I wrote a screenplay with two friends from college, and uh, and that, that I mean that's a great story in there. I, I want to share with you, but before before I get to that, I promise I'll get to the stand-up and the screenplay. But let me just tell you this: um, when I was at Edinburgh University which now is called Penn West Edinburgh. Um, there was a couple of things I, I wanted to share with you. So, okay. All right, here we go. So, <clears throat> okay. Oh, Nobody boy. talks about That's why I want, I want to <laughs> oh, talk boy. about Here we it. go. So, okay. One of the things, as much as I, I love that corner of the world, one of the things I, I do not miss is snow. I hate snow. I think it wants to kill us. I hate black eyes. <laughs> yes, I hate slowly. leaving my window open and then these giant stalagmites on the side of the building come crawling through my window. Yep. That's, yep, that's the thing sucks. that happens. Yes. So the college I went to has a very big disabled population. They are known, uh, they have all this grant money because um, there's wheelchair ramps and people who can only move their head and an arm just like in chairs, uh, you know, so it's very handicapped and disabled uh, accessible. Well, here's the, here's the thing, fellas. When you go to college, one of the big parts about going to college is drinking too much. Well, you <laughs> yeah, I've these... heard. I've heard. Okay. I think you're going to know what I'm going to say. <laughs> yeah. So you've got all these young people who are of drinking age and they by the nature of how they live they are drinking and driving and they're out in the snow and ice so every year people would be coming home from the bar yeah. and they're like little and they would freaking die they would slip um off of the sidewalk into a snowbank and get covered in snow and then oh. when it defawed a little bit they would find their body and they would this, also go off. The, they would go off the bridge, and they would go like you would find bodies all over. And the campus doesn't know what to do about this because they can't tell them you're not allowed to drink because these right. are adults or adult. drinking age. Yeah, so they don't know what the hell to do, and so instead, it's just kind of accepted. Yeah, you know, there'll be some dead people. This yeah. is what happens. Well, Ed Edinburgh's oh, known because they're right, like it's right in the path of a snow belt. Yeah, they just get shit hammered, pounded with snow every winter. So yeah, I mean, I I, I can see that happening. It's terrible. Lake there. effect, lake effect snow, the well, Emerald Lake. Yeah. Absolutely, it's it's yeah. often worse. And people, a lot of people don't know this. If you're up in Erie, where I'm at, it can actually be milder than if you're a little bit south in Edinburgh. It's it can be worse there because of that, because of the change in the temperature and the bands and everything, and of course the the lake is there too. They would cancel classes. Because snowfall was, you know, up Three your freaking tits. Yeah, your waist, your tits. So, um, so that was a thing that happens. And every so often, uh, there's, there's two stories. I'm gonna tell you that one, and then and then there's another story I'm gonna tell. You. But when I tell people that, they're like, "No, that's not true. That's not." And all you have to do, buddy, anybody who doubts that I'm saying that this is accurate, go to the Google machine mm -hmm. and type in Edinburgh disabled people deaths. 
and there have been articles written about it. And every so often they say, what can be done about this? And then nothing gets done about it. Wow. Well, we had a, we had a horrific situation up here in Erie where we had one, maybe maybe two people, I think, of the last several years who froze outside during a extreme weather event. But I can't even imagine it being like, oh, how many disabled people did we lose this winter? Oh, only three. Because they, you know, they, they just don't know. They don't know what to do about it. What, what do you have? You have um, yeah, what do you, monitors right. and it, because literally they're they're drinking at the bar until two in the morning every day. So what do you, what the hell can you what, what can you do? So it's a uh, very wild. It's a it's a very wild no, uh, aspect of yeah. The other the other wild thing. While I was going to Edinburgh, and I started off as a um, uh, an art student, I was a graphic design guy, and because uh, I, I love drawing, that's the thing that kept me in high school, man. Like I I hated school. I hated math. But I very early on discovered Votech. And so for me, my last two years of high school, half of the day I was drawing and doodling, doing cartoons and, and that at Votech in Meadville. So I went from Linesville to Votech. So anyway, um, and then I switched over to communications, got into like radio, TV. I ran the radio station on the campus. I had a TV show and I wrote for the paper. But um, OK. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> a TV show? What was your TV show? Oh, Really? Do you, do you need do you need a minute? Just just a minute. I, I gotta know. Yeah, yeah. What? Yeah. No, what's I mean, like the? What's well, you like already know. Version? You are. You already know. That's why I don't want to say it. Come on, you know. The TV. Oh, what was the TV show? Wait, did I miss something in the in the, the, in, yeah. in the show notes? Oh, what did I miss? What did I miss? What is it? <laughs> it's a wrestling show. Oh. Wow. Wrestling event. <laughs> okay. Of course it is. Where the hell were you? <laughs> I didn't realize that was the TV show. I thought that was just like. Oh, a, I thought on. that was just the event. I just told you I'm a promoter. What the hell? If I'm doing events that I'm selling tickets for, I'm doing articles about wrestling. I'm doing radio shows about wrestling. I'm doing TV shows yes, about wrestling. Yes, wrestling. I'm making that money, fella. Come on. <laughs> uh, so anyway, so I'm, I'm at the campus, and I, I'm the general manager of the radio station and all this, and there is a college professor. Uh, his name is was uh, gay, very overtly gay, and a sexual harasser of students, mostly okay. men. And so Mr. would uh, grab ass and grab man boobs and uh, and and want to uh, rendezvous and meet up. And he would like to push the envelope and have these outrageous conversations. And uh, anyway, so he would he would come on to me, and uh, he came on to a lot of men. And uh, and he 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 would talk, you know. Oh, Mr. Chismore, like very stereotypic that you know people who've went to the campus and they hear me do that, they know it's accurate. I'm not just doing like a gay impression. Yeah, because it uh, almost sounds like a South Park character at this point, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, and he had big long nose hair, and he drove a real fancy car, and he was a, a dumpy guy. So so anyway, so he would he would uh, sexually harass, and you know, I laughed it off for a while, and then it got really creepy. So oh, one day at my radio station, I took him aside and I beat his ass. No, I'm just kidding. I, I took him <laughs> aside and I and I and I said, "Listen, I'm I'm not gay. If if you are, that's that's cool. I'm not judging or whatever. But I just want to let you know, I'm not interested. I'm never going to do anything with you. And you know, just cut it out, man. You know, man to man, just stop, stop this. And uh, he was like, oh, 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 and. He didn't talk to me ever again. I love the impression. But, but <laughs> yeah. a couple of a couple of days later, I received a package in the mail, and it was two mm -hmm. gay porno. Oh uh, no! Gay 
And one was a uh, hardcore man-on-man like prison one. And the other one was like a sweet romantic man-on-man. So it was like, it, and, and it didn't say it came from him. Uh, and I called I called the cops and I had the police show up because his office was near where the radio station was. Yeah. And I couldn't prove it was him, but I let him see that the cops were there and I was talking to them. And I was very loudly saying things like, and I want you to find out exactly who sent these to me because <laughs> I want to press charges. <laughs> and, you know, he, he kind of waddled his way over to the door and like closed his door. And like, again, never talked to me again. But he really... He really ran the gambit of like I know he's gay. I just gotta, yeah, he's gonna he's gotta, gonna convince you right in case in case you're on the edge. Like maybe this yeah. will push you. <laughs> yeah, like but, all but, all you need to do is watch these, and yeah. then and then you will right. be like oh and I so see what I, I see what I've been like, missing. Yeah, that's the <laughs> right. oh I didn't realize. Yeah. Oh, is that what gay is? <laughs> right. um, oh my god! But but you you two may think oh that's an interesting story, Tim. No, no, the story's not done. So years later, after I moved to California and I was on some uh, group relating to the university I went to, I saw people commenting about uh, what had happened with You see, finally, a few students got together and decided to sue the university because nothing had been done about his sexually harassing men for years. And these students were sick of it. And so it went to trial, and oh, the wow. primary student won four hundred thousand wow. dollars from Edinburgh. And when that settlement came through, hung himself. Oh, these! I did not see. I must have missed that in the news. I, I don't know how. Maybe it just didn't make its way up here. But when did that happen? Hanged himself. Uh, and again, no, feel how, free to use the Google the Google machine. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm about to do so. Edinburgh University, and it's all it's all on there. And then uh, you know, there's all these people who are sharing stories about you know the good and the bad because that's how it is with with you know polarizing characters like this. Where some people are like, oh, he was always just really funny, and these people don't have a sense of humor. And then other people are like, hey, you know, this guy you know groped me and tried to this and that. And, oh wow, you know, one yeah. guy was sharing stories, but you know, for the for the sake of what it's worth, that's my personal experience with this guy. So. I just want to note for the show. Just in case anyone's hearing this later, you're mm-hmm. listening to us at a later time. Tim, we just did a, a live check on you. It all checks out. It's, yeah, it's well, all there. It's all there. I, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna come on uh, the Gen Extra podcast and just throw <laughs> no. out uh, crazy accusations about people. No, I, I, I get it. This is wild. I didn't expect yeah, yeah, yeah. the. I, I I thought the story was gonna go somewhere else there at the end. Yeah. And I was a bit surprised. Yeah, no, that's, that's that's the part I was actually like, yeah. like, 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 what? Like, yeah, I mean, it's all it's all there. Wow. Yep. Okay. Well, I'm glad they. Uh, I guess I'm glad they took legal action, got it resolved. Um, sort of. I mean, you can't you can't really you know no amount of money is going to fix you know that kind of uh, uh, you know emotional. Uh, pain. Right, and it was and it was years and years. I mean, you figure it was happening when I was going there, and I graduated in two thousand five. So it wasn't until I don't know, man, maybe twenty thirteen or something that I that I heard about what happened. So it, you know, and then who knows how long it had been. Ha- Obviously, he had tenure, so you know, he just was accepted as this eccentric, creepy, ooh, oh, oh, you know, kind of guy. And uh, that's how he talks. That's, that's what I'm saying. It sounds like it sounds like something right out of South Park. It really does. Ooh, Mr. David, how are your balls hanging this morning? See? Oh, he See? Would, yeah. yeah. 
that's what he would do. That's what he would do. And uh, and he'd like to push the envelope to um, high school, uh, not high school, um, um, like um, cheerleaders and football players. And he would just tell these outrageous sex stories to try to see if it if it looked like if you responded to it. Because if you did, then you're on his radar that he thought, oh, there's a chance that he'll be able to do something with you. Like he would tell us stories about how he used to put um, cameras in the radio station. And then he would tell us without prompting or anything, just, you know, after hours, these big uh, football players would come in and just go down on each other. And I would have the video footage of it. If any of you want to see it later, you know, that kind of thing. What? And then we'd be like, well, now we're good. Thanks. That's uh, all right. Good, good to Funny, know. I'm, good I'm to busy. Know. I'm busy a little bit later. Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, that's, uh, I don't even know what to say about that, honestly. <laughs> yeah, <I laughs> that's just, so messed I felt, up. I felt the urge to unload. That's all. Oh. Just wanted to let you guys know. Apparently so, he did like, too. Yeah. Oh, geez. Oh, geez. I'm sorry. Oh, jeez. Oh, jeez. Well, RIP there, uh, Mr. Yeah. Mr. Well, I- I think I think we need like a hard segue now. <laughs> we really like, do. Is that- yeah, like, like you just have to like stop and like go to the next thing in the list. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, sure, sure. Well, you you mentioned uh, stand up and the screenplay stuff, so I can I can tell yeah, you when yeah, I yeah. moved out to. Uh, when I moved out to California, I, I wrote a screenplay with a couple of my buddies that went to Edinburgh. And the story about that, that process of me going out there is in Chicken Soup for the Soul. So okay. um, I've had a lot of stuff published over the years. And uh, if you pick up Chicken Soup for the Soul, Random Acts of Kindness, mm-hmm. I tell the short story about growing up as a poor kid and all this stuff. And then going to California, selling the screenplay, getting into stand-up. And now I'm a headliner and my name's on the marquee and all that stuff. So I tell, I tell that story. Um, but I can tell you guys... Uh, you know, some of the input about it. So we, when I wrote the screenplay, my friends, my friends were not as serious about wanting to make it an entertainment as I was. Mm -hmm. I was, you know, I had nothing to go, go back to, you know, Um, you know, I really come from some rough roots. And so for me, I I just, I was all in and I was like, I'm going to do whatever it takes. And uh, you know, my one buddy, um, loved sex and like he would have, have sex with three girls in the same day they would literally like clock again they would come in have sex with them leave another one would come in have sex with them leave <laughs> another one would come in have sex with them leave and it was always the girls too in their profiles would say i'm not that kind of girl and i was like yeah yeah you are uh but anyway so he ended up getting two girls pregnant and then ran away uh from from the obligations the other guy uh grew up in in that corner of the world um and he, his family put no stock in a career in entertainment. So they were very negative. And when we wrote the screenplay, and then uh, I did some stuff to make sure that we sold it, um, but he, his dad broke his heart. He was on the phone with his dad, and his dad told him, if you ever sell that screenplay, I want you to find the biggest, fattest black woman, and I will kiss her ass. That's what that's what his dad told him. And when he got off the phone, uh, he looked at me and he told me that's what his father said. I could see in his eyes that his dad broke him. And uh, and literally a few weeks later, he left um, and he, he moved back in uh, to work for his dad's company. And oh, so, so what, yeah. where, where was he during this time? He was with California. He, right. OK, so he, he, had, he was in California, too. OK. Yeah, what I'm what I'm basically saying is, um, 
the three of us had a house together and they said, I went into it with the assumption that we're going to make movies together. We're going right. to do stand-up comedy yeah. together. We're going to, we're going to be like Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. Like we're going to be the team. And then my one friend loved sex more than Hollywood and, and, you know, got all these girls pregnant and ran away and didn't want to commit to anything. Mm-hmm. Um, he also yeah. didn't know how to appreciate the hierarchy. Like I, I would have a friend who my, my one friend's uh grandmother was the first black woman nominated for an Oscar. And so she would get us into these Hollywood parties and uh, my friend would bypass her and the hierarchy and like try to talk to the people who owned the, oh, the buildings. The, yeah, you just, you're supposed, there's a pecking order. You're yeah. supposed to be like, you know, you know, thank you for letting me be here. And I, I you know, I'll respect the, the chain of command. And instead yeah, yeah, yeah. you wouldn't you just don't understand. Um, and then my other friend, but but Rhett, the one who his dad broke his spirit, he ended up moving back and working in a, a factory and just being a regular guy, which I mean, there's no, you know, there's, I'm not, or, that's fine. Whatever, right? I'm just telling you, in my experience, I watched these guys fall by the wayside. And so at yeah. the end of the day, I was all alone. And this is one of the reasons I, I stuck it out with stand-up comedy was because I was disappointed and and uh, disillusioned that every time I had a team where it was like, we're all in, yay, team, my team kind of peckered out on me. And um, so with stand-up comedy, it was me and a microphone. And it was like, you know, if I'm funny, it's because I'm funny. And if I'm if I'm not funny, that's on me too. And right. you know, all I have to do is is get to the gigs and talk to the club owners. And then the the lessons I learned in business apply to stand up. Um, like for example, you'll have a comedian who will do open mics for years to try to establish their voice and their character mm-hmm. and structure. Well, not this guy. I went into it, and very early on, I realized that comedians uh, had no power. They were the ones who were like, I'm funny, please give me a slot. And I knew that producers and bookers are the ones that had the power. So pretty early into my comedy career, I went straight to the owners of the clubs and I would say, listen, I can pack a house. You know, like all they care about is selling food and drink. And so yeah. they would give me a day on a, re- on a recommendation of somebody that I made friends with. And they was, all right, we'll give you a Tuesday and we'll see what you can do. Well, guess what? I fucking packed that motherfucker. And they've said, shit, that's what you can do on a Tuesday. Let's give you a Wednesday. Let's give you a Thursday. Shit, let's give you a weekend. And what could you do if you were, you know, so I, I moved up in the pecking order. And then I used my connections in wrestling. The first TV show I ever sold on the country music channel was a thing called championship comedy, which combined pro wrestling and stand up comedy. You know, so these these are the things that I, I just one thing after another, I just started putting it all together and, and rocking and rolling. Was it always easy? Of course not. And I, 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 I I got a a lot of haters because they felt I hadn't earned my stripes. Right, well, right. But, but the thing is, like, I'm not gonna, I'm not patient like that. I'm not gonna spend ten years trying to earn the respect of a bunch of, you know, joke writers. I'm gonna get in there and make the connections I need to get paid. You know, while they're grumbling and being pissy about me, I'm. I don't have a day job. I, I'm paying my bills by working in stand-up comedy, something they're hoping to do someday, and I'm doing it now. You know. Yeah. So let me let me ask you something on that because it, it, during that period of your life where they're like, okay, yeah, can you do a Tuesday? And like you end up packing the Tuesday. What was what, what's the uh, secret sauce? What what was what did you do behind the scenes though, to make sure that people get there on like a Tuesday or whatever? Was it just your name, or did you do a lot of networking behind the scenes to say, hey? I'm going to be at this club on Tuesday. It'd be great if you come out and see me like that kind of thing. What I did was I threatened every member of my audience that I was going to put them in a room with. <laughs> and uh, 
<laughs> oh, suddenly they're buying drinks. Uh, no, I I was uh, I was booking talent based on a two of three. So they either had to be an, a good person, you know, they had to be able to have a fan base and, and pack the house and they had to be funny. So for me, I would book comedians who are two of the three. So if they're three of the three, that's great. But primarily you run into people who are two of the three. So um, I would balance a show out. Maybe I had somebody who was easy to work with and hilarious, but they didn't have uh, a strong fan base. Mm -hmm. And then somebody else who, who, you know, is a a, a dentist who dabbles in stand-up and all their patients are going to pack the place. Well, they're not very funny, but they're nice, and they've got a ton of fans. And they're as long as there. the people are there, the funny people will keep them coming yeah. back. So I, I learned that kind of a, a model, and then I would, you know, I would also perform. And as I learned my stand-up and my bits and my routines and stuff, I gave myself more and more time, and then was able to, you know, headline. And then I would go on the road, and then people would offer me favors because they saw that when I was doing these shows, it's not like at the Chuckle Hut. I was doing regular shows at the Ontario Improv, the Brea Improv, the Irvine Improv, the Hollywood Improv on Melrose, the John Lovitz Comedy Club. And these were consistent residencies where I was performing regularly, you know, sometimes weekly, sometimes monthly. Uh, but this went on for years. And then other people would want to have me go on the road and fly here and open for so-and-so and, you know, all this kind of stuff because I would book them on my shows and it was favors and uh, blah, blah, blah. And then I, then I just, it was, it was just a matter of playing the game and, and being around and being aware. And let me tell you about the screenplay. So <clears throat> in order to sell a screenplay, you have to have some sort of attachment to it. You have to have like a director attached or a, a star attached or whatever. And so the first screenplay that we wrote was called checkered flags a comedy about race. And it was about a black guy who goes in a NASCAR. And this was before uh, Talladega Night. So it was around that okay. time. Mm-hmm. And the story was roughly about like these white owners of a white NASCAR team. And they saw on the news, this black guy who stole a car and was like on this freeway chase. And, uh, and they're like, oh my God, that guy, that's who we need. We need a, a driver like that. And so anyway, um, in order to sell the script, I needed... Um, I needed Chris Rock, or I needed Chris Tucker, right. uh, who was big then. And I didn't have access to that and that kind of stuff. But there was that comedy club down the road, and there was a black comedian by the name of Eddie Griffin. And so Eddie Griffin was the headliner um, for a weekend at the Ontario Improv. So I took a cardboard cutout, and I wrote on it, Hey, Eddie, and on the back of it, Screenplay for You. And I went down and I waited by the back entrance of the comedy club. And this is the kind of story that's completely outrageous and, and crazy. Like you're like, what? Yeah. That would never work. Well, yeah. I I stood there and I was young and new enough to the industry that uh, I was going to do it. And the security looked at me like, you know, are you crazy or something? And I'm like, no, no, no. I'm not going to hurt him. I'm just, uh, you know, I got this screenplay and I'll give it a shot. And they're like, all right. And so um, when he showed up in his limo, they had ran him a limo for the weekend and he got out with his entourage. Uh, I held up my sign. Hey, Eddie. And uh, he looked over and kind of nodded. And then I turned it around. It said screenplay for you. And, uh, and he walked over and he said, what do you got? And so we started talking and he gave me his publicist info and then they vetted us to make sure we were in uh, WGA and that we were legit, not just some crackheads. Right, right. And, uh, and uh, we were able to attach him to it and I optioned it and it never got made, but that was my first paycheck for selling a screenplay. Nice. But that's, that is such a 
cool, interesting, like, I, like you know, almost like a classic story of where like, oh, I'm just, I'm going to stand here. I'm going to do it, you know? Like, and, and I have to imagine that line of work that that kind of thing almost has to be done from time to time. Otherwise, like you said, you're just going to kind of end up waiting on the side. Yeah. You have to think outside the box. You have to be willing to do some, you know, crazy outrageous, you know, the, the, the TV show that I sold, um, you know, combining pro wrestling and stand up comedy. I had two comedy coaches at this time, this guy uh, by the name of Johnny Dam and the other guy, uh, Gary Cannon. And uh, so I, I approached Johnny Dam with the idea and I was like, Hey, I got this idea. I used to work in wrestling. I got some contacts and obviously I'm doing the stand-up thing now. So what if I combine the two? What do you think? And he said, that's the dumbest idea I've ever heard. <laughs> if you want to, if you want to work in this industry, don't tell anyone that stupid idea. And so I said, okay. And I just kind of shut it down. I didn't mention it for like uh, about a month or two. And then uh, it kept rolling around in my head. So finally I mentioned it to the other comedy coach, uh, Gary Cannon. And Gary said, that's a great idea. Let me call the general manager of the Ontario Improv and get you a Tuesday so you can try it out. And, uh, and you know, if I hadn't, if I hadn't brought it back up again, if I had just yeah, if you taken first that first no, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It sounds like you're very persistent. So yeah, definitely. I'm not, yeah. I, I'm nothing else if not persistent. <laughs> yeah. There, uh, I don't want to switch gears too fast here, but there's a couple more things I want to bring up as well. I saw on your IMDB, you had a spot on, are you smarter than a fifth grader? Is that real? Well, yeah, I was, I was on the game show. I've been on, I've been on three game shows. That's awesome. I was on, <laughs> I was on are you smarter than a fifth grader? I was on, um, uh, um, what the hell? Oh, uh, damn, I haven't thought about this in a while. Uh, it was on the Game Show Network. It was. Um, What'd you do? What'd you have to do? Maybe I'll know what the show is. It had two seasons on the Game Show Network because they asked me to come back for the second season, but I was in Idaho at the time, so I didn't. Um, the premise is they would have four people yeah. who you had to work. You had to work together to accumulate money. But then you had to, at a certain point, vote off one of the people. That, oh, that wouldn't get the money. okay. That does and sound then, really then, familiar. And then when it came to the end, the money was broken into three unequal amounts. And the longer that you weren't able to uh, agree on who gets which amount, the money goes down. So a lot of the episodes ended with all the money running out because people were like, I should have the most. And no, you should have the least and all this kind of stuff. That, sounds, that actually sounds kind of familiar. I think I remember seeing that. I don't know what yeah, it's called. It was like diversity or something like that. Um, anyway, so I was on that one, and then I was on artist. I was on artist minor the fifth grader, and then I was on one called To Tell the Truth. So, so I was on those three game shows, and I'm happy to tell you about the game show stuff. But I just want to mention, I almost, I was almost on three reality shows for whatever reason. I, my luck is not good with reality shows. Three times they liked me through all the interviews and wanted me to be on the show, and then at the last minute, didn't uh, have me on. Well, what, one, wait, which reality shows? So one was The Apprentice in, okay. in, uh, in L.A. So I was almost hanging out with Donald Trump. Right, okay. <laughs> I was very close. I, I didn't make it on. And then, um, oh, uh, The Pickup Artist, season two. So I, I almost was on that show uh, where Mystery taught you how to get girls. Okay. And, uh, and then I was almost on Naked Dating, uh, where they literally had me buy get my passport because they were going to send me the Caribbean to go on fully nude dates where I'm naked no and kidding. she's naked. Naked. Yeah. Dude. Wait, yeah. there was one on Discovery called uh, "Naked and Afraid of Love." Was that what you're talking about, or is that different? 
that doesn't sound right, but there's there's one there's one called Naked Dating, which is the one that I was uh, that I was gonna just want. date naked. Yeah, I think it was called. I think it was called Naked Dating or – yeah, I think it's Naked Dating. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, so as far as the game show though, yeah, man, uh, the, I'm on an episode. You can find it somewhere. Um, but I, I I was the guy for the whole episode. I went through all the – and the interesting thing is um, my my two at, – at the time, two of my closest comedian friends, all three of us got cast on shows at the same time. So they filmed those, um, those game shows <laughs> like um, – multiple shows in the same day because the the taping is yeah. whatever it was a half hour or an hour or whatever so you tape like you know a week's worth uh in in a day so um when i shot my are you smarter than a fifth grader the celebrity who was shooting his at the same time because the host of the show was jeff foxworthy and uh the celebrity who was filming his episode it was hanging out with me in the green room and shit was um uh from the blue collar comedy tour Bill Ingvall. Oh yeah, Bill yeah. was, yeah. So I got to hang out with Bill. So to this day, I have performed with Ron White three times, and I was on the TV show with Foxworthy, and I got to hang out with Ingvall. I've never done anything with Larry the Cable Guy. He's the only one I haven't hung out with. Yeah, did I see too on there that you did you open for uh, uh, Jim Jeffries, or did you just no. were you at the same? I think you were at the same venue then. Yeah, I oh oh you probably yeah you were probably looking at um, when I would headline the improvs there was a bunch of other people who were booked at the improv they have different comedians okay. going in and out uh, okay. all the time so but maybe for example like he was doing a Thursday through Sunday yes. and I was doing like the early show on Thursday and then he was the late show or vice versa whatever yeah I always love like Jim Jeffries the uh, that he, I think he's Australian he's funny dude he's he's a good comic too yeah so I, are I, you what's that Joe. Oh, no, I was, what I was, I was just going to ask him real quick. I was going to say, are we don't, I don't want to skip too far for it, but are you still doing stand up today or have you like shifted to other to other you know, activities, portions, professions? Or are you still doing stand up now? No, I, I rarely I rarely do uh, stand up. And I actually I'm going to do I'm going to do some I have to do something with my stand up because I haven't put a. I haven't put a special out or anything, and I hate like uh, when when you guys sent me an email and and he sent me a clip of like the first time I that ever was went me. On I was like, hey, I found this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's like, is this you? I was like, ah, oh, man. You know what I mean? It was so fucking <laughs> embarrassing. So I, I have sets from when I've done you know giant stadium tours with Louis Anderson right, not and that, like that. Not that. That's right. That's what I want people to see. It's kind of like it's kind of like when you're like uh, somebody's like selling million dollar paintings and then you find footage of them like eating crayons in kindergarten. Hey, is this you? It's like I've yeah, done other things. This looks like you. Yeah, yeah. But um, but no, I I don't uh, I don't enjoy the industry of, of stand up. Um, stand up comedians are very uh, shitty human beings. Um, the the truth is they're very jealous and uh, petty, and they're not very supportive of one another. Uh, in my experience of so many different entertainment industries, I, I do publishing and comic books and comic cons mm -hmm. and novels. Yeah. And all. I can tell you the worst people that I've and there are there are exceptions. There's a few that I like, but oh, I'm just sure. telling you, in general, the worst people I've ever worked with are comedians, and I can tell you the best people I've ever worked with are writers. And here here's an example of the difference. If if you're hanging out with a room full of writers and you say my book's coming out, writers will say, 
what's it about? I want to read it. That's so cool. Um, you know, do you have a, a celebrity blurb on it? You know, who's doing the intro? Um, you know, was it traditional or indie? Is it hybrid? Um, that's so great, man. Congratulations. That's what a writer will say to you. When you are a comedian and you're booked someplace and you say, oh, man, I'm headlining the, the Chuckle Hut in Scottsdale, Arizona. Comedians will say, tear you apart. Well, who books it? How can I? Yeah. Who books it? How can I get on that show? Uh, you know, why are you doing it? You can't do that long. They're, they're very, they want to cut your legs out from under you. It's a very, yeah. and sometimes it's a surprise when you find out what they're like behind the scenes. It's the smiliest, nicest guys on and Jerry Seinfeld's a huge dick. Any comedian will tell you that he is an awful human being. Like he's just, and once you know that you can see some cracks in the armor where they're mean, they're mean spirited. Like they just, they're rooting for the world to burn. They, they're not, they're not good people. It's like, it's like a form of manipulation where they know if I say this, they'll, there's a science to comedy. You know, I, I went to the, you know, I went to the grocery store the other day and I bought a banana, an apple and a hippopotamus. It's like, Oh, the third one's the funny one. Right. And, and then, you know, <laughs> A setup, a callback, tag, tag, tag. Like there's a science to it. When you know how to oh, yeah. do that and you have a bunch of confidence, then you can just bleh, these things. And and people, comedy laughter is very contagious. And when people start to laugh, like it's more important, and you might think I'm crazy, but I'm telling you from experience, it's more important to be confident than to be funny. There are a lot of comedians who are just confident assholes. Yeah. And people give them jobs and opportunities. Yeah. Well, I, mean, I I'm sense. not surprised to hear that because I've been to I, I've been to the comedy club here and I've seen some genuinely really funny people here. But one of the things I've often thought about while I'm like there watching the show is what if I just saw this somewhere else, would I be laughing? Right. And 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 I think some of the times the answer to that is definitely yes. But sometimes I've been like and I, I'll question like like everyone else is laughing. I was laughing, but I'm not sure if I even thought that was funny. You know, it's it is kind of weird like that that the science and the the infection of being like at the club kind of does that. But I mean, obviously, it's I mean, it's still a hard profession and everything in and of itself. But I've often thought the same thing. Like, you're, there's there's something more to it than just getting up there and telling jokes. What's very odd, the kind of person who does it, they have to be the kind of person who has the ego that I can be in the spotlight in front of this room full of strangers, and you all shut up and I talk, and you all yeah. listen to me. And you should sit there, shut up, listen, you can laugh. You know, it, it, so there's a certain kind of an ego and a confidence. And, uh, and, and there's also um, a, a, a social, um, like like you're, you're kind of a weird person. Uh, the layman will look at um, a party and they think that the life of the party should be a comedian. You know, you know how many times somebody's come up to me and they're like, you know who's right, really right. My uncle. Oh boy, when he's drinking at the party, oh he's so funny. And I and I, you know, I just smile. I'm like, okay, because the uh, the, the truth is, you take that uncle and you give him a schedule and say, okay, this Thursday twice on Friday, three times Saturday, and once on Sunday, we need you to be on stage with the spotlight and 200, you know, uh, people staring at you. Be funny. Okay, be funny. And then on it's the next show, be funny. Exactly again. And how then, that works. Yeah. So, right. The person who's the comedian at the party is the socially awkward person in the corner who's not talking to anybody. Right. That's what a comedian is. Who, who's observing everything. 
Right. Because in their head, they're thinking all these outrageous things that they could never say because it would it would uh, be socially inappropriate. But when you're on stage, you can call out that stuff. You can, you know, oh, what's the deal with this girl over here? Oh, how many dicks did she take in her ass? <laughs> like, ah, where does he come up with it? Yeah, because he's a fucking weirdo. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there is. Yeah, yeah. Comedy is a, is a weird thing because yeah, like like Joe said, when you're on stage, you you've give, you've been given this like this freedom to say whatever you want to say, and it, and it's okay right. for the most part. Um, you know, there are some exceptions yeah. where people have gone too far, but uh, yeah, you can you can talk about some you know horrific things, and I I've never been a fan of that kind of comedy, where I, like where where they where they're pointing out people in the audience, and and making them their material for the show. Uh, like I, I like original material where you know it's actually like they put some thought into it and it's like it's funny it's situational humor you know but or they're just telling funny stories but yeah never been like oh look at this guy looks like he's had too many tacos on the way here huh everybody huh <laughs> you know it's like okay that's not that funny um like leave the poor guy it was funny when you said it <laughs> yeah yeah well, that, well that's that's there's definitely there's an art form to it and uh you know everyone has a different style and i can break it down sure. in a million different ways with science the interesting thing about comedy is how it is literally think about this it's a comedy club but you would never go to a music club there are different forms of comedy just like there are different forms of music but it's very specific when you say hey do you guys want to go to a country music show with me or do you guys want to go to a jazz show or do you want to go to a rap show but when right, it comes to right. comedy we put it all under the same umbrella. And so that's where some of that stuff comes in. Cause I, I I'm, you have to build your brand. Who are you? If I say we're going to go see Jay Leno, it's entirely different than let's go see Larry, the cable guy right. or Kathy Griffin or, you know, so anyway, there's, there's all these little through lines about establishing who you are and it takes time to, um, to accomplish that stuff. But for me personally, my, my goals in comedy have been met. I've worked with some amazing people and I still occasionally do, but the drama is not worth it for me. Me personally, uh, there are two rules that I live by. Does it make me money or does it make me happy? And if it does both, then I'm all in like making movies. And if it does one or the other, I got to think about this. And if it does neither, I'm not going to do it. So for comedy, <laughs> you know, does it make me happy? Only when I'm on stage, all the BS around it is, is no fun. And uh, does it make me money? Sometimes it's just breaking even in standup. Like it's a lost leader that leads to other opportunities. Right. So. If you don't mind me saying, Dave, Tim, could we use that actually to, because especially if, you know, if that's not something that's occupying your time anymore, I think our audience might, you know, be, be interested in hearing what is occupying your time these days. And I know Dave and I have looked at a couple things online. I know we kind of talked offline over email or they, but maybe take this opportunity to tell us like what, you know, what is on your plate these days? Yeah, sure. Um, for starters, we're celebrating uh, Hell's Coming For You has just hit Amazon and Google Play and YouTube uh, movies and TV. It is a feature film shot mostly in Las Vegas about a disabled bounty hunter. So one of the things I like to do in my art is I like to put a spotlight on underrepresented groups. So mm -hmm. I made a, a fully nude stand-up comedy uh, or a fully nude comedy movie called The Noodles of Noodland. And that's because how often do you hear about <laughs> nudists? And so I, I gave a spotlight to nudists and, and it's body positive and it's, you know, not yeah, really yeah. closed minded and all this kind of stuff. And then so with Hell's Coming For You, it's about here's a guy who's disabled and, 
you know, Hollywood claims to be so woke and all this, and everybody's got a, you know, diversity, this and that. Well, how many parts do you see for disabled people? When was the last disabled action hero you ever saw? And right, so right, he never. This guy, right, yeah, yeah he, I can't, I can't think has, of one. No. He has he has the Blue Zone comedy tour where he does uh, because disabled people park in the Blue Zone, so that's his thing. And and he does these shows in Vegas. He's been doing it for like eight years. And um, we developed a, a satire action movie around him as the lead bounty hunter. And then it becomes a bit of Pulp Fiction where it's story on story and the onion starts to unravel and it's got elements of like old Westerns and a lot of stuff, but um, it's getting great attention, rave reviews on, you know, film thread. And it literally just became available this week. We're starting the promotion here pretty soon to let people know that it's out there. But that's the kind of stuff I, I do movies and TV and web content. I do comic books, um, you know, I, I run a comic book company that we work with um, brands and businesses, and um, I ghostwrite for memoirs, um, oftentimes with celebrities, but, you know, regular folks, too. If people want to put a book out, I walk them through the publishing industry and, you know, coach people in that aspect. But um, I've found that it's good to work with people and try to help them to uh, achieve their dreams, acquire what they want, whether it's books, comics, yeah, movies. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, there's, um, anyway, so a lot of that, that's what I do a lot these how days. Did, yeah. How does something like that come together? I mean, did you do, mo did you do most of the writing and then what, like when, when the writing's done, you have to go recruit the people that you know, and you have to like kind of reach out to your network to kind of get everything together, whether it's the filming or the rest of the, you know, rest of the actors and actresses, whatever it may be. But how does that, how does that work? Like if you, if you kind of start like with a script, did you start with like a script or whatever and just kind of go from there or did it work like the other way around? No, it definitely starts with the script. When you're doing a movie, um, it can go the other way around where you can write a script. I mean, that's the beauty of writing. That That's why I encourage people to do, you know, things like books and, and comics, because you don't have to go to Hawaii or Paris to write about it in your book, right? So it's the same way with scripts where we've certainly, I have a script that I have a script and and other people have scripts where they put together this this project that they want to do, but mm -hmm. they don't have the money or the means to do it yet. And there's lots of different reasons for that. So that's one way to do it. And I've done it that way. Where, like, for example, checkered flags. I mean, that was a script we wrote and it had, you know, race racing cars and NASCAR and all this stuff. And it never came through because of money and opportunities and whatever. Um, yeah. but on the indie scene. We will often develop a movie around what do we have access to? What can we acquire oh, okay, the okay. for? And so this is an example of that. So we literally developed that script. I'm the producer and me, the lead actor, Dylan Delegaff, and the director, Mark Savage, um, we came together, the three of us, and we wrote the screenplay based on what do we have access to? So, for example, two of the stunts in the movie, one is at Lake Mead with an amphicar. I don't know if you're familiar with an amphicar, but it's part car, part boat. It oh, is part okay, okay. Car, part boat. So you literally drive the car into the water, and it is a boat. And you boat off, and then you can come back out of the car. So we have this scene where there's a shootout on the beach, and it involves an amphicar that's out there, and then it comes out of the water. Well, somebody uh, might watch that movie and be like, oh, my God, where did they find an amphicar? How do you get that? There's so few. And then, you, you know, all this and that. 
no, no, no. He, you know, uh, a guy attached to the movie owned the Amphicar, and so we wrote it in because huh. we knew we had access to it. Um, there's there's some hot air balloon stunts. Well, it just so happened that one of the guys associated with the movie, his son owns a hot air balloon company in Sonoma, California. Well, then we're going to use those hot air balloons. Heck yeah. So <laughs> we, we wrote the script around what I love the way that that's all coming together. Yes. And then so that that's how it works with with any of this stuff, you know. We um, at at our level because the the thing is, you want to shoot it where it it's quality and it's at the level of other movies. But you know who the hell is going to put a million dollars into a movie? Um, you want to, and then anyway, I could get into the, all the ins and outs about that. You sure, have sure. a few few faces that are recognizable. That's why we have Patrick Kilpatrick in ours, who was a big 80s star. He was in movies with Chuck Norris and Steven Seagal and all this kind of stuff and uh, and some wrestlers and all this. But we developed it around what we had access to. And then we shot it for roughly a month in Las Vegas. Then we went up to Sonoma and we got robbed, by the way. We lost $15,000 oh, no. in Sonoma, oh. which was... Uh, yeah, I gotta say that area around uh, San Francisco is is really turning to trash, man. There's a thing out there called smash and grabs, and uh, the cops won't even show up. So we had a rental car, and I had uh, you know, about five you know members of our crew, and uh, we rented the car. Everybody got off the plane. We put our luggage in the back. We went to a restaurant, and turned out somebody uh, went through the parking lot. They recognized that it was a rental car. They smashed out the back window and they grabbed all of the luggage. Well, what was in the luggage was equipment. Oh, and no. So, oh, geez. Uh, yeah, the cops didn't terrible. even show up. So, yeah. Well, that's that's just that's just an example. But, you know, making a movie sure, is sure. Uh, an adventure, man. So I, as as producer, I was putting out fires on sets every day. And I mean, this was around the times of the um, Alec Baldwin thing. And our movie has a ton of guns in it. So I'm, you know, I'm dealing with that as well, where some people are uh, overly sensitive and other people are, you know, anyway, sure, so there's sure. a lot of fights about it. And, you know, I'm, I'm in the middle because like, um, I'll give an example, like, obviously, obviously, we don't have any live ammunition on set. Right, okay? right. So yeah. we have no real bullets, okay? No bullets. All of the all the bang bangs are added in after effects. So it, it is not actually we're not shooting blanks. So there's oh, so not, you're not even, even yeah. Okay. Yeah, there's there's nothing. Uh one one of our actors was literally holding the guns and going pew 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 on set. <laughs> there was no course. sound and we had to be like, please, please stop doing it. Stop that. saying pew. Um, <laughs> But 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 here's the thing. Here's where it gets tricky. So so you talk to the these actors and stuff, and some of them, like I said, are, are real sensitive about these things. And you're like, listen, we don't have any actual bullets. There's no live ammunition. We have armors on set that make sure that they're they're empty when guns are pointed at heads and stuff. Um, and we show everybody that they're they're empty. So okay, so that's good. Everything's fine on that. Here's where it gets tricky. Some of our sets are at. Uh, tourist attractions in Las Vegas, oh, where no. there is the potential, even though we've um, you know paid to have this area, theoretically, if you have a pile of real guns, somebody from the outside can show up with guns because this is an open carry state, so anybody can have a gun with bullets and take our guns or show up with their own bullets and put their own bullets in our guns. So the only way that you can uh, combat that is to have our armors have a gun on their side to protect the guns that don't have bullets. Well, these people have guns with bullets to protect the guns without bullets. And then okay. that pisses off 
that pisses off my people because they're saying, you said there'd be no real bullets no on guns. Set. Yeah, you dumb oh, motherfucker. No. But if we don't have a real gun to protect the guns with no bullets, then we have problems. And if you say that you trust these people enough to make sure there's no bullet in a gun that's pointed at your head, right. you should trust them to be able to have a gun at their side since they're the gun experts. But anyway, yeah. this is, <laughs> right. you know, crazy arguments and mutiny and drama and crying and you know everyone's uh but you did get it done i mean we've seen the trailer we know it's real right i mean so eventually everything came together and you got it done yeah if i had more time to to watch it before we recorded i was gonna watch it but it can't least it only came out like a day or two ago from from now i could have sent you the private link oh yeah well, where can where can uh, in case someone is looking for it, where where do you recommend people look for it on? I think you had mentioned Amazon, but are there are a couple other links or like the indie movie store or something. I cannot remember what yeah, you said our, there. Our distributor is is sending it out, is is making it populate on all these streams, so it'll eventually be on all, all the Tubies and Plutos sure. and Freebies, all this kind of stuff. But for right this second, I know it's available on Google Play. I know it's available on YouTube. So if you go on YouTube, there's an option to rent or buy it. Okay. And then Amazon is the thing that everyone's the most familiar with. So if you go on Amazon, you can buy it in HD. You can watch it. And I, I play one of the leads. So I'm I'm Edward D. Pine Jr. So I'm in a white suit and I have bleached white hair. Yeah, I saw that. And, uh, <laughs> We determined that my character is a virgin, so I, I'm a weird <laughs> albino virgin. So yeah, it has sort of a oh god, what's the guy's name? He was like on those like cooking shows. It kind of has like his vibe a little bit. Oh oh, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, I, the name Emerald, escapes me as bang, well. Bang! I got something done. That's right. Yeah, but no, yeah, it looks it looks interesting. Like I'm I'm excited to watch it. Uh, and I'm, I'm yeah, you have what was the other thing you had too? There was the the noodles thing. Was that is that incorporated with the naked not afraid? Is that the same thing? So Naked and Not Afraid is a nudist talent show. So think of America's Got Talent, but yeah. with nudists. Okay. So okay. After, after I did um, uh, the Noodles and Nude Links, the thing that led into that was, like, I, when I was in college, um, I would pose, so we would have people pose nude for our art classes. And for me, I was like, what? I want to do this. Like it's a bucket list thing. So I ended up signing up to pose for art classes. And then I went to nude resorts and I discovered that I really had an affection for um, being naked. Like, you know, for, for oh, yeah, guys like it just comes natural. It, it's like literally like a, a dog or a cat or a horse. Like they get to be naked. What's the big freaking deal? So, um, yeah. so yeah, I, when I, when I went to California, there's tons of nude beaches and resorts and clubs, you can go nude bowling and nude skydiving and all kinds of stuff. And I became kind of a spokesman. And then when I got into standup, you know, like I combined pro wrestling with standup, I, I always look for these things to, to make it more than just standup. Well, I created a fully nude standup comedy tour. We did buck ass naked standup shows to naked audiences. Cause to me, we, we played colleges, we played um, resorts, we did private theaters. And, and the thing was, I treated it like the Rocky Horror Picture Show, where I didn't want regular textiles, as we call you normies, uh, mm-hmm. to come to the show and be sitting there looking at uh, our sweet, sweet bodices. Yeah. And then we would be, we would be the butt of the joke. So for my oh. show, you, came, <laughs> you had to get naked, too. Yeah. The audience was naked and the comedians were naked because then it was like you're part of it. It's not you came to look at the weirdos. It's you're one of us. You're one of us tonight. So when you one show up naked, us. wait, wait, wait. Okay, so when you show up naked to one of these things, it, it, it's in a nudist like colony of some sort. It's not like it's at a, at a venue on the strip, right? Well, so first off, 
uh, colony is the N word for nudist. It's okay, you didn't know, but uh, but yeah, well, that well, we will, we will remove that. That'll get taken out in post. <laughs> oh no, I'm leaving it there. Yeah, you should leave it in. So it's so it's uh, you know informative for other people. But yeah, nudist colony. Like nowadays, it's resorts, it's beaches, it's uh, events, there's runs, there's races. It's, it's a lifestyle. So you don't want anything that's like you know marginalizing people. Sure. No, that's like, that's a that's a very fair that's a very fair point. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but but anyway, um, so um, we do these all over the place. Um, it is not at uh, just at private resorts. Sometimes it is. But for example, if it was at a, a theater, um, you would show up, and beforehand you'd have to buy your ticket because we prefer that you're a member of some of the nudist organizations. There's clothesfree.com. Uh, There's Anner, the American Association for Nude Recreation. There's TNS, the Nature Society. There's all these groups that do background checks and that kind of stuff to weed out anybody who shouldn't be there. Mm. But um, but yeah. You would you would come in and then you would check in and you would um, leave your clothes and uh, and a phone like I make sure that there's no pictures or video where it would impede anybody. Um, sometimes people want to do pictures of video and if if they wear a wristband or something they can go over into that kind of an area. Um, but um, we want people to have a good time and there have been a lot of articles written about my shows in, in Vice magazine and Playboy and stuff like that where you know um, people go and they expect it to be one way and then they're surprised that it's like people. This one chick had um, acne scars on her back, and she was writing about how she was surprised that like nobody commented on that. You know, it was just mm. accepting her for who she is, and it's you know, it's a very non-sexual right. environment. Yeah, right. That's it's not supposed to. Like I said, it's not supposed to be sexual. It's supposed to be just acceptance of of the world around you. Essentially, it, it's it's supposed to break down social classes. You know, when you're standing yeah. next to somebody and you're both naked, you don't know if they run a Fortune 500 company or if they're a janitor. You know, it's it's more about just uh, being there, just being people, just being humans. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. You're definitely gonna be. Uh, I don't know. I, I want to say the right kind of person, but you got to be in the right sort of mind frame mindset to even want to do that. Cause I don't think that I would want to do that personally, but uh, no, I mean, I'm, but you know, good for people that do, they're, they're apparently more I, comfortable than I am. Well, that's, and that's the thing that I'm, that like, I'm like, that's the thing that I'm almost jealous of. Like you can get to that comfort level because I could never do it because I could never be comfortable enough probably even with myself to really like take that step forward like that. So that's pretty amazing that people can kind of get together like that and just kind of remove all of those barriers, so to speak. It's a really, yeah, literally. Um, yeah. Yeah. I guess literally. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it is quite, uh, quite an, an interesting and amazing thing. Well, I, I have a, a little, I have a couple of videos I, I'll recommend uh, if you're curious to check out more about this. I participated in something, uh, Jubilee. Jubilee has a huge channel on YouTube that has millions and millions and millions and millions of subscribers and viewers. And uh, they did a thing uh, called Jubilee Spectrum where they would get uh, people from a certain demographic together to see if they all agree on certain premises. And anyway, I, I participated on one called Jubilee Spectrum Nudists, where they got us all together. There were six of us. And then they would ask questions to see where we agreed and where we disagreed and all of this. And it's on uh, YouTube. And you can actually see it censored or uncensored. There's the option. Um, and it was such a hit. It has like 2 million views on it. Um, that's the censored version. And then if you click through the uncensored, I think it's like 400,000, but um, it was such a hit that a year later they asked me to come back on and uh, do a separate thing where they brought in people who um, asked questions one-on-one -on -one with me, but I, I didn't want to do it by myself. I did it. I, I came back, but I made sure that it was me and a woman because I didn't want to 
look, I'm a fat white man sitting there. Right. I didn't want to be answering right. questions about women's nipples and, you know, <laughs> right. periods. You, know, you are not the expert. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't, I didn't want to, I didn't want to do that. So I made sure there was me and Juliana, which the two of us are the leads in the movie, the noodles of noodling. Um, and so it was really nice kind of tying into our movie and stuff. And so both of those are on YouTube. You can find them. If you look up Jubilee spectrum nudists, uh, both, uh, censored and, um, and uh, non-censored. I would recommend watching it non-censored because that's the point. Like if we're talking about, you know, why nudity is okay, and then you watch it censored, it's a little yeah. lame in my opinion. You know, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, the new right. Newland is, is is fun. It's silly. It's ridiculous. Uh, it, it's literally a, a comedy, and it's on uh, Troma now. So if anybody, it's on multiple streaming platforms, and it's available at. Uh, I don't mean to bury the lead. Nudisthumorous.com. You can buy it with a bunch of bonus features. We have interviews with the casting crew and deleted scenes and all kinds of stuff so people can find it there or if they uh like the toxic avenger and movies like that they can find it on the troma now app so okay nice well good mm -hmm. I'm, I'm glad that's out there now thank you for that yeah well that's um i, I told you the story about going to hollywood was in chicken soup for the soul well the story about me ending up in idaho and kind of revamping what i wanted out of life is in um a collection of short stories oh, okay. uh okay okay in the garden of good and evil. So I wrote that down and it came out. It's, it's all about uh, good people who came to Vegas and turned bad or bad people who came to Vegas and turned good. And so I, I framed it within the, you know, I was becoming kind of a, the shitty person in Hollywood that I didn't like when I first moved there. And so then I moved to Idaho to adjust that. And then I came to Vegas and blah, blah, blah. But there's so much, there's so yeah. much I can get into with that. Man. I was to say, I don't know how you, I mean, you have, you I mean, your plate is so full. Like I just, I think about like my day and the things that I've done. And I'm just like, how did you, you must have somehow you figured out how to extend the hours in the day, or you just worked your ass off so hard to do some of this stuff that it just, it just became reality for you. Because I think about the number of hours and I'm, I'm sitting here going, holy, you know, holy crap. Like this, you did a lot. I'm like, I have to mow the grass today. When am I going to find time? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's what I'm saying. Yeah. All right. So uh, yeah, actually before, before we wrap up, Tim, what we're going to do, is we try and make this kind of a thing every time we do a uh, or have a guest on. Uh, we we like to find we like to find things for sale on Craigslist, and and because you're from Vegas, we decided to call this the Vegas edition. We want to see if you know your area and what they're selling and how much they're selling it for. Are you interested? Better in than me, right? Better than me. <laughs> well, that's going to be the All test. Right. If, yeah. if, if is, Joe, it, is it is it is it going to be all drugs, prostitution, and burying bodies? Because I, I hope just so. don't know what that goes for. <laughs> yeah, well, I will say that uh, one of them could be used for burying a body, um, or or disposing Perfect. of one. <laughs> Perfect. All right, so so Tim, here's how we do it. We're gonna. I found four items, okay, that are in Las Vegas that people are selling. Uh, I'm going to ask you and Joe what you think they're selling it for. You take your best guess, and whoever's closest, not Price is Right style. Uh, you win. So here we go. First item I found there in Las Vegas for sale is a quarter barrel beer keg. It looks like it's in pretty good condition. What do you think? So it's it's empty, by the way. A quarter barrel beer keg. It's empty. Yep. Someone's just selling it. You can take it back to the distributor and get it filled up, I suppose. Or someone stole it and nobody got their reservation back. Oh, Tim, you got to go first on this. I wonder what it's made out of. I wonder what those things. I think you know. I wonder like, if there's like probably aluminum, maybe. Is it a steel one, right? Yeah. Steel, aluminum, something metal. like that. It's metal. 
God, I don't even know my unit of measurement. I don't that's know how the, big that is either. That's the fun part. Uh, <laughs> yeah. All right. I, I since I have no frame of reference, I'm gonna say thirty five dollars. Okay, Joe. Oh, so, hey, you're coming in right where I'm coming in. I'm so I'm uh I'm gonna say I was gonna say twenty five. Oh, Tim. Tim takes it. They're asking fifty bucks. If you want to. <laughs> If you want to know where this is at, Tim, you can. I'll, I'll send you the uh, link. <laughs> right, because because you know you need one of these. Yeah, this one, this Please. next one. Yeah, <laughs> this next one's actually really cool. I wish it was here because I would totally buy it. This is a uh, uh, Mrs. Pac-Man arcade machine. It looks oh, like sweet. It, it's like a full arcade machine. Like it's pretty uh, pretty awesome. Is, is it operable? That's my question. Does yeah. it work? It works. Yeah, yeah. It's the uh, it's, it's from the the arcade One Up brand. Oh, it's one of the newer. It's one of the modern ones. That's been. It's a modern one-up. Yeah, uh, arcade cabinet. It, it okay. looks older though. But anyway, um, what would you pay? What would you guys pay for this Mrs. Pac-Man arcade machine? Boy, this is tricky because on the one hand, I mean, you can really go either side. On the one hand, you're thinking like nobody would need that. You know, we have these Nintendo Switches. Everything is so small, mm -hmm. but. So on the one hand, it's like, oh, you know, who the hell would want that? It must be hard to sell. On the other hand, that makes it boutique for collectors. Yep, right. So, yep. you know, so the one person who would want it maybe would pay a lot for it. Ah, it's, it's like I get into this debate with people about distribution where they're like, oh, no, nobody wants Blu-rays anymore. And I'm like, ah, well, then talk to my friends at Vinegar Syndrome, MVD and Dark Force who make millions of dollars going to boutique collectors. Mm. You know, they want it remastered all these extras. Mm -hmm. So, um but uh, I'm gonna say 150 bucks. Okay, Joe, what I'm do gonna you think? go. I was gonna go 250. All right, Joe was closer. They're asking 350 dollars for this. Wow, wow. 350 for a Miss Pac-Man. Yeah, it seems a little high. It does seem high, doesn't it? It does. Yeah, I don't know if I'd okay. buy it for 350, but uh, I would. Uh, I'd be interested. Well, but the good news though, there was a that Tim. Tim and I were both kind of we are I mean we're both in the ballpark you like were. one of us didn't say like a thousand yeah five thousand know? dollars yeah no you yeah. guys are both really close it sounds to me like whoever's selling it is looking at your wallet and going a waka 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 <laughs> right <laughs> let me yeah. chew through that real quick yeah all right so I got uh, last two um, this one is a uh, blue fronted Amazon parrot tamed and well behaved. They're selling. What? They're selling a bird. How much would you sell for? Or how much would you buy it for? Tim, are you interested in a bird? Yeah. What's that bird? I'm only cost? interested. I'm only interested in flipping the bird. Uh, <laughs> there you go. Ba -dum -ba. <laughs> a bird. A freaking bird. This is you know what? Amazon parrot. You know what I think? You know what I think? I think this is a screw job. I think this guy. Uh, you know what I think? I think he's giving it away. I'm gonna say free. Okay. Oh, you think it's just a bad oh, bird? Oh, it's not oh, well I, behaved. I, 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 I think you're trying to trick us up. I think that oh, okay, okay. Give it to us at home. Like you walk in the door, he's like cocksucker. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'd buy that bird. That'd be funny. <laughs> Mister Mister <laughs> wants it now. <laughs> oh, you little bird. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, he's gonna go free. I'm gonna go. It's a bird. I don't know how to price a bird. Um, it's a, a bird. It's a parrot, dude. I, I I'm gonna go four hundred. Um, uh, I mean, Joe was technically closer. It was not free, Tim, but it is sold to neither one of you guys. They wanted two thousand uh, dollars for this parrot. Okay. Two grand. Wow. That's a pricey wow. bird, man. Are they always that expensive? Probably because it's 
exotic bird? I suppose. All right. So here we, we go. All right. A, what are we living in? Like a real life, uh, like the Sims, where people <laughs> go around and acquire. Like, what the hell do you need this for? Who's living their life where they're like, I need a, I need a color. Like anybody I can think of who owns colorful birds, they're they're eccentric and and rich. Like there's a guy I'm thinking about right now who owns three homes in Beverly Hills, and he has these giant colorful birds. But yeah. it's like, yeah, because you're this, you know. One of his houses is full of his paintings. I mean, you got to be an eccentric weirdo. You know? Yeah. Birds are noisy and they stink. Well, like, and I think, too, that is a kind of ownership thing. Like, people people who like to own birds really like to own birds. They bite, too. Like, I've been to pet shops where they have parrots, and you're like, you know, like, don't put your finger in the cage, and you do it anyways, and it bites you. <laughs> of course. Yeah, they're not very loving. They're not, ugh. No. All right, so last one I found here, Tim. This is the one I said could be used for some body removal purposes. This is a, uh, a plastic 55-gallon drum. <laughs> You and the drums. <laughs> Something they might uh, they might they might drive up to uh, Mead Lake and chuck it in the chuck it in the <laughs> lake. They've actually found. Did you, did you see they found like they found barrels of bodies as the, as Mead has gone down. Or were so they we were they in them. these plastic drums? <laughs> I guess where we put them. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they were in drums and shit like that. Yeah. Oh, but uh, yeah, so that's a whole other topic. But uh, yeah, what would you what would you pay for this uh, fifty five gallon drum? You, you know we could we could get into that sometime where I tell you I I've I've run up against clubs and gangs and I was told if you're curious about this if there's somebody who's bothering you they will literally make you this offer they want uh, they want their full name and then you say if you want them injured or missing and then wow. if you if they if they make that deal with you, so literally right now, <laughs> yes. literally right now, if I said I was on uh, the Gen Extra podcast and I have an issue with David and Joe, then they would say, "Give us their full name. Do you want missing or hurt?" And uh, I don't like these I people. Missing, <laughs> yeah, then, sounds bad. You guys, you guys would be gone. And and the thing, but here's here's why here's why a lot of people don't do it. I mean, besides the the ethics. Oh, yeah, I was gonna say okay. <laughs> yeah, besides the ethics and not knowing those people, here's here's where it comes back to you. If I ask them to do me that favor, I then owe them a favor. Oh, and so geez. at some point in the future, now you're I'm gonna in get debt. knock on my door, and they're gonna say you have to, you know bury this body or hide this gun or take these drugs to this person. And you know, nobody wants to get that phone call. Okay. Nope. So it's not nope. just, you're not just paying them like X amount of dollars. You're just, you're in debt for a favor. Sounds like yeah, a there's mother. no money. There's no money trading hands. That's even worse. I, yeah. That that's, sounds that's scarier. Why, that's, that's why it gets so weird. I know a guy that uh, his, uh, his son was, uh, his throat was, was slashed Ugh. in kind of yeah. a gang fight. Thing. No, 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 but that that's not here, here's the story. So his son was was at uh, school and there was some gang fight that broke out and uh, somebody slit his son's throat with like a razor blade um, yeah. a, a knife and and his son didn't die. his son his okay. son recovered but, but, okay. it, but it became close it became so close that he would die that the father took these people up on the offer and the guy who uh, slashed his son's throat went missing. And uh, and I know about that whole the whole process, like as it was going through and stuff. And he so he so it happens and there's no money involved. You just literally. OK, guys, I know it. And this is what I you, it's kind of like a movie where you sell your soul to the devil or something, you know. Jesus. Wow. Okay. This is all because I found a drum for sale, by the way. Yeah. Way to go. Way to go, Dave. <laughs> My bad. Way to find a drum. What's next? A shovel. 
Yeah, uh, yeah, bag of lime and a shovel and a rope. What would you pay for that? Um, no, so, Dexter <laughs> yeah. lives next door. Dexter. Uh, yeah, yeah, some Dexter shit. Um, um, yeah, okay, so what would you pay you, for this drum? <laughs> I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna say a drum. It's a. Pl it's plastic though, right? Yeah. All right, forty bucks. Okay, Tim. I seem to keep going low, so I'm gonna go high this time. I'm gonna go a hundred. Oh, I like that answer too. Oh, Tim, you should you should have stuck with your uh, your your old ways. The one time, <laughs> thirty bucks. Oh, I sorry, I overpaid a little bit. All right. Yeah, well, there you go. That's that's the Craigslist game. That that's what that's what they're selling in Las Vegas right now, along with a lot of cars, tires, and just some weird other things. But uh, yeah, that that game could go on for a while. There was some odd stuff in there. But uh, yeah, I think we should probably wrap this one up. It yeah, got, that was that that was great. It was. So, Tim, yeah, dude, thank you so much again for being on the show. I can't wait to have you on again. We're definitely having part two of, uh, of having you on the show. Yeah. I, I just hope I just hope that out of all the episodes that you've done, um, I just hope out of all the episodes where you've discussed comedians, nudists, wrestlers, the mafia, I just hope mine is in the top three. I, I think, <laughs> I mean, I'm definitely seeing like top five, you know. I mean, we, we, we do these topics all the time. No, absolutely. <laughs> number <laughs> Number, number one. one. By a mile. Yeah, yeah. Pretty much all these uh, topics don't generally make our topics. So that was uh, that was a lot of fun to talk about something yeah. uh, totally you know different than normal. So yeah, and again, let's you know, let's. I want I want to plug your show too. So let's not forget to do that. Your movie. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, for sure. But uh, you know, one of the things, and I, I won't go on a tirade about it, but one of the things I I really miss about that corner of the world, and it, it's totally a time capsule thing. Like I know it's not there if I go back there now because I I've checked, but is the video stores. I loved going in Hollywood video and, and looking at these video stores when I was growing up in that corner of the world, man. There was a time where they were in Connie Lake and Linesville and all this. I just, yeah, I love that. Oh, we, we, we had, the little, that we had the little mom and pop video stores like down, you know, down yes. in our hometown. Yep. I yep. worked in both of them at one point. Like they were, so they were cool. so much fun. I loved, love video stores. And that actually comes up in conversation quite a bit. It, it does. Is our is our love and uh, how much we miss video stores, even though we never went to them as they were, you know, dying off. I, I still mean, miss them. Partially our fault; they're gone. But right. We did, we did like going there when they were a thing. Yeah, not enough apparently I, to ever take us back. <laughs> we just watched them I disappear. Li I, li I literally want to buy a bunch of old VHS tapes and put a wall in my condo of yes. like all these VHS tapes on shelves. Just, just so you just can peruse the man. peruse the library. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. One million percent. So, um, well, yeah, if anybody's curious um, for the noodles of Noodling, go to nudisthumorous.com. Uh, uh, if anybody's interested in the lifestyle, check out that uh, Jubilee Spectrum. If anybody wants to check out the um, disabled uh, action movie, go to Amazon and uh, look up uh, Hell's Coming for You. Our lead character's name is Liam Gunter Hell. So that's where it comes from. Hell's Coming for You. Oh, this nice. Okay. And uh, and yeah, I mean, I'm uh, I work with my social media manager to update websites and stuff. I uh, just got a bunch of headshots taken and shit, so I should have new stuff on there. If they want to read my books, I have books and stuff, and I'm touring and I'm doing all kinds of things. Um, but yeah, the most important thing is uh, you know keep listening to this podcast and supporting uh, Gen Extra podcast yes. with David and Joe. <laughs> yes, thank you. Because <laughs> they combined are your favorite host. Yes, one <laughs> yes, person, they, yes. one host, two one people. Host. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, thank you all for checking us out and uh, joining us with Tim today. And uh, we'll see you on the next one. Talk to you next time. <laughs>